Well, hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing the book The Romantic Challenge by Sir Francis Chichester. This is the third part of the reading and we're continuing chapter one. Now, if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. And there for five dollars a month, you can not only support this podcast, but also get access to additional exclusive Patreon only content. Now on with the story. Chapter 1 continued. So, on the 14th of August 1970, I set off from the Bewley River on a 5,000 mile trial run to Majorca in the Mediterranean and back. I invited Christopher Doll, a film producer who had made a television film about the Battle of Britain and who was now making a biographical TV film chiefly about the voyages and adventures of my gypsy moths to sail with me to Majorca. Christopher caused me a great deal of worry. He had never been to sea in a yacht before and never seemed able to grasp the hazards, problems or sailing technique important for an offshore passage or even to make a serious interest in them. He was only interested in getting good photographs and to do this he would put up with anything, clambering all over the boat and even climbing the rigging in a rough sea while being horribly seasick. Nothing requires more courage and determination than that, but... Christopher simply accepted it as part of his job and seemed oblivious of the discomfort he created for himself for the sake of his film. Sheila flew out to Gibraltar and joined Gypsy Moth to sail on to Majorca. Giles flew out from England when the filming at Majorca had finished and sailed back with me, just the two of us. I never seemed to have good luck with this voyage, which probably means that I did not plan and carry it out skillfully. For example, my chief object was to try out Gypsy Moth when running before the wind, not just for a few hours, but during several days. What happened? On the way home with Giles, when we could confidently expect the prevailing southwesterlies, we were continually on the wind for 1,600 miles. One might go round the world several times without being close-hauled for such a stretch. Every time we turned a corner of Spain or Portugal expecting the headwind to become favourable, the wind changed direction at the same time and continued to head us. Gypsy Moth sailed well into the wind, but this was not the object of the voyage, and it was certainly not what I wanted on any speed run. In the end, I never did have a sustained run to try out her speed and handling qualities in trade wind conditions. Once, when sailing down channel with Christopher, the wind freshened up to gale squalls, and for a moment or two, Gypsy Moth was touching 17 knots as she surfed on a wave crest with the wind from the starboard quarter. This stuffed me with optimism and I felt convinced because I wanted to be convinced that she could keep it up given the right conditions, that she was an exceptionally fast yacht, a veritable arkle, outstanding among all other racehorses. It was unfortunate that she had this burst of speed for a few seconds or minutes and pushed my aspirations into the clouds instead of keeping them down to earth. It was not until the 22nd of October that Giles and I sailed back into the Bewley River, and as I wanted to be in position for my speed run to the equator by the beginning of January, I had to bustle round to get everything done in time. Sheila had her stores list for the voyage well in hand, and I had a list of 97 modifications and things to be done to Gypsy Moth, of which the most troublesome were still the propeller, propeller shaft, stern tube, and the engine controls. With only six weeks to go before I should start for the equator, the time had come to disclose my project. 
One of the first people I told is my friend George Greenfield, who looks after my literary business and is a connoisseur of strives and adventures. When I told Landsman George of what I had in mind, he said, Wouldn't it be much more interesting if you made your speed run between two definite fixed points instead of doing a thousand mile line across an ocean? I said that this was quite impossible. As it stood now, my project was much too difficult not to look for the most favourable conditions and sight anywhere in any ocean in the world without being tied down to going from one fixed point to the other. For example, I said, consider the single-handed transatlantic races from Plymouth to New York and Newport. More than 50 yachts have taken part in the three races. Straight-line distance from Plymouth to Newport via Cape Race was 2,840 miles. My fastest time in Gypsy Moth 3 in 1964 had been 94.6 miles per day, and the fastest passage in all three races had been that of Geoffrey Williams and Sir Thomas Lipton in 1968, when he crossed in 25 days, 20 hours and 33 minutes, at an average speed of 109.8 miles per day. A large share of the sailing in this race was windward work because of the depressions whistling through from west to east in the North Atlantic. 200 miles a day was a vastly increased speed, and it would be almost impossible for a single-hander to achieve it on that fixed northern route. It showed clearly why I must seek the best conditions I could. George's comment boiled down to, hmm. George's words niggled at me. Of course, the whole idea was ridiculous, as any yachtsman could see at once. And yet, a definite course between two points, a definite starting line and a definite time at which to cross it, after which you are committed to win or lose. It was a greater challenge and a tougher one. I began to sit up late at night studying charts, reading Admiralty sailing directions and calculating distances to see if I could find some run between two fixed points which would fill the bill. The traditional cross-Atlantic route for yachts is from the Canary Islands at 29 north and 13.5 degrees to 17.5 degrees west to Barbados at 13 degrees north 59.5 degrees west, in the Windward Islands off the Caribbean Sea. Hundreds of yachts have sailed over this route. I stepped off the distance on a chart and found it roughly 2,640 miles from Palma in the Canaries to Barbados. It was an intriguing possibility, a good sporting sail, but it was an old and well-worn route. Could I find something more exciting? Why not go straight through the Windward Isles and carry on into the Caribbean? My route needed to be a straight line, that is to say, a great circle on the Earth's surface. Author's note, meridians are typical great circles, and parallels of latitude, except for the equator, are small circles. A simple way of seeing what a great circle route looks like is to stretch a piece of string from one point to another on a globe. If plots are taken along the line of the string and transferred to an ordinary atlas or of Mercator's projection, the results can be very instructive. I spotted a place called Chichi on the coast of Venezuela, Central America. This name sounded an auspicious tie-up with mine. Supposing I started from a point near the coast between Dakar and Bathurst in West Africa and shot through the Windward Islands, south of Grenada, to Chichi. I calculated a distance and found that it was 3,001.75 miles. Well, 3,000 miles was certainly much more romantic than 2,640. But why stop at 3,000? I plotted route after route, getting more excited and keen to extend the distance. Could I run straight through the Caribbean, past Venezuela and the Isthmus of Panama to Nicaragua, 
at the western end of it. Nicaragua seemed to have a horrid coast, strewn with cays, reefs and islands. On top of that, it had a wide belt of shallow water, which could make life very uncomfortable. On top of that again, it would be a lee shore with a strong east-northeast wind driving right onto it. And lastly, it would also have a west-going current, trying to carry a yacht onto the beach. However, there was one place, San Juan del Norte, sometimes called Greytown, which could be approached without risk of hitting a quay. Just to the north of it, the coast was indented somewhat to the west, with Corn River in the middle of the indentation. The nearest hazard north of Corn River was a rock or islet called Paraxo Bovo, 15 miles to the north, and then there was a bunch of caves off Monkey Point, 5 miles further on. Farther north was impossible. The shallow waters were sprinkled with caves and reefs and islets. There was not a single light on the coast from San Juan del Norte to El Bluff, 60 miles to the north. None of the caves or islets was lighted. Approaching Corn River from the east, it was so shallow that there were only 30 fathoms of water 20 miles offshore. San Juan was a nightmare landfall also. There was just not enough depth on the bar of the estuary for Gypsy Moth to enter, and there was a cape sticking out four and a half miles to the east of it. Approaching this coast on a dirty night with a fresh onshore breeze was enough to give a single-handed yachtsman nightmares for the rest of his life. But, and it was a most important but... This San Juan indentation provided the longest straight stretch of water between West Africa and the west end of the Caribbean Sea. I calculated the distance from Bathurst to San Juan, and it was 3,900.2 miles. This threw me into a feverish chart hunt. I could not bear to be so close to 4,000 miles without being able to stretch the distance that far. I simply had to find another 100 miles of distance, on the African coast, to the south of Bathurst, the capital of Gambia, the next state was Portuguese Guinea, and then the coast bore away to the southeast, so that the further south the starting point, the longer the distance would be. At Conakry, the capital of the Republic of Guinea, I should easily have the extra hundred miles of distance and more, but in January it would be in the doldrums with no wind or fluky light airs for up to 500 miles to the west of it. That put it completely out. The only possibility was Portuguese Guinea. Here, the hydrographic charts showed mostly faint airs up to 250 miles offshore, though there was a percentage of Force 3 and Force 4 breezes coming in from the north and north-northeast. I computed the distance from Cayo at the mouth of the Canal do Geba in Portuguese Guinea to the San Juan del Norte indentation. It was 3,956 miles. 44 to go. By now I was enchanted with the romantic appeal of the round figure of 4,000 miles, and, carried away by it, I decided to start 47.5 miles up the Giba estuary at the capital, Bissau. From there, at a point in the middle of the estuary, 5 miles offshore from Bissau, and if I moved the finishing post somewhat north of the township of San Juan del Norte to position 11 degrees 17 north, 83 degrees 47 west, about five miles off the Corn River entrance, I could get my straight line distance of just over 4,000 nautical miles. It lay roughly along the parallel of 10 degrees north, which put me usefully in the west-going north equatorial current. 
The hydrographic pilot and routing charts showed me that January should give the strongest winds in this southern part of the North Atlantic, with a good percentage of them at force 5 and above, and comparatively few calms. The winds, on the whole, should be easterly, in the main between 40 degrees and 50 degrees abaft the beam, which would put Gypsy Moth onto a broad reach, a yacht's fastest point of sail. Only a small percentage was shown from a stern or a beam. This was it. What a wonderful racetrack. On the face of it, it did not look as if there was a hope of getting anything like the length anywhere else in the Atlantic. And, bursting with excitement, I committed myself to attempting 4,000 miles in 20 days along this track. And although I did not know it at the time, in my enthusiasm for those extra miles I had found, I had also made my first major error. At that time, I reckoned that the whole voyage would take four months with 9,500 miles of sailing. But after I had penetrated the Caribbean Sea, I had a feeling of claustrophobia, of being encompassed and even oppressed by the land and islands surrounding it, although it is 1,650 miles from end to end. I felt olage, as the French put it so well, when I emerged through Crooked Island Passage into the broad Atlantic, and a primeval urge set me to sail on down to the equator and back before being enclosed again by land on my return to the English Channel. My excuse was that I wanted to try to improve upon my five-day speed record. I did try, damned hard, but I never really believed the excuse. In the end, I was to be away for five months, and Gypsy Moth was to sail 18,581 miles. And when, in my planning, I listed the difficulties and hazards of approaching the Nicaraguan shore, of beating out against strong winds and currents to escape from the Caribbean through the windward passage between Haiti and Cuba, and thence through the passages among the caves of the Bahamas, somehow I was not touched by the practical reality of it all. And when it came to it, it turned out to be as interesting and exciting an adventure as I could wish for. Nor, while I was planning, had I any premonition of the amazing, the providential good luck which I feel I did not deserve, and which saved me and Gypsy Moth from disaster near the end of the voyage. Well, that's the end of the episode for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. Now, if you haven't already, please check out the other podcast, The Mariner. There's lots of seamanship advice there and stories from my life sailing and we answer questions and go off on terrible tangents and things that uh, seem to keep people that are interested in sailing quite entertained. That's The Mariner podcast. Of course, you can go to YouTube and pick out The Mariner there. And at the moment, we're on board with the 40-foot Trimaran Spirit, sailing from Antigua to Bermuda and then on to New England. And all of this being made possible by the kind donations of sailors over on patreon.com forward slash The Mariner. Well, that's all for today from The Mariner's Library. I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.